All right, good afternoon and welcome to the July 2021 Major Mondays webinar. We're going to be doing uh, Leaning Over State Lines, Multi-Jurisdictional Issues in Workers' Comp Subrogation. Uh, as usual, this is a live question and answer webinar, so feel free to submit your questions in the box on the right, uh, and we'll get to them at the end. All right, so let's just start off with some basics here. Um, so New York and New Jersey subrogation generally. So it's used as a term of art in the industry for multiple rights. Uh, subrogation has a different legal definition. It's actually stepping into the shoes of the petitioner and claimant and filing suit. But uh, just in terms of you know the industry we work in, it basically, when someone says subrogation, they mean third party reimbursement, uh, future credit and offset issues, things of that nature. Operative statute in New York, section 29. Operative statute in New Jersey is section 40. And they both give us similar rights. We have uh, subrogation, section 29.2, and section 40F. Uh, we have lien reimbursement, and we have future credit and offset rights. So what we're going to address today is what happens when we cross jurisdictions and these overlap. So we'll get into the New York standard first, because this is nice and easy and pretty clear cut and dry. Uh, so seminal case on the issue, Carmenucci versus PepsiCo back in 1997. Uh, it says the reimbursement rights in a third-party case arise from the law of the state in which the benefits were paid. Uh, pretty easy, right? If you have a New York third-party action, benefits were paid under the New Jersey Workers' Comp Act, they're going to apply Section 40 in New York. Um, other cases uh, subsequently held up that same standard, or previously held it up, rather. Um, Canfield versus Child World, matter of O'Connor. Canfield versus Child World applied um, Connecticut's subrogation statute in the New York third-party action. Uh, same standard applies to federal courts in New York that are exercising diversity jurisdiction. Uh, big case on that one is Boyle versus Texas Gulf Aviation, Second Circuit opinion from 1989, at least that's when it was affirmed. So this one's pretty easy in New York. So applying it in context, so like we mentioned before, benefits paid in New Jersey, the Section 40 calculation applies. Now, why is this important? It actually tends to be a little more forgiving than the cost of litigation calculation under Kelly um, in New York. Uh, you know, you have the cost of litigation average of the attorney's fees and costs and disbursements. Well, um, Section 40 limits you to a maximum of one third on attorney's fees and a maximum of $750 for expenses of suit. So uh, Section 40 can be more forgiving in terms of reimbursement, and that's why we'd want to argue for it in a New York third party action. Um, benefits paid in Connecticut, this happens very frequently. Um, you know, Connecticut claimant, New York third party action. Uh, consider intervening under Connecticut's subrogation statute. Um, just note that modern case law um, has started to say that intervention is not really necessary to preserve your future offset rights, called moratorium rights in Connecticut. Uh, but we still recommend uh, doing it for now just as a best practices kind of thing, especially because it gives you, you know, a seat at the table in the third party action and negotiating your reimbursement. Um, there's an interplay here with New York's no fault law. That's Article 51 and the Section 29 1A carve out. Uh, we'll dive into that a little more in a second. Um, but, you know, that's a bit of a uh, bit of a quagmire for adjusters everywhere dealing with that uh, 50K carve out. Uh, and it's kind of interesting how it applies in this context. So uh, we have New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Co. versus Steckert First Department opinion from, oh, did we lose everybody? Oh, nope, there we are. First Department opinion um, from 1999. And what that held was that the $50,000 carve out applied to uh, New Jersey benefits for a New York motor vehicle accident. 
So this is what we were talking about before, benefits paid under the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Act, uh, motor vehicle accident in New York, New York third-party action. Uh, the New York court ended up applying uh, the 50K carve-out, even though benefits were paid in New Jersey. Uh, the reason being that the statute is phrased for accidents arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in this state. Uh, however, the inverse is not true. Uh, McHenry versus State Insurance Fund, third department decision from 1997, and one of my all-time favorites. Uh, if the accident happens outside the state of New York, there is no 50K carve-out. Doesn't matter if everything else in the case is New York related. New York employer, New York claimant, um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, a case before the New York Workers' Compensation Board, everything could be New York. But if the accident happened in New Jersey, there's no 50K carve-out. And I should clarify, if the accident happened anywhere outside of New York, so Connecticut included any other state. So um, continuing to look at this in context for New York, uh, McHenry has been enforced in subsequent decisions, Bennett versus State Farm Fire and Casualty. That's an Eastern District of Pennsylvania case, recent from 2017. Ofori versus Green is uh, the aforementioned New Jersey example we were just talking about. New Jersey accident, New York comp case, uh, no 50K carve out. So there's a discrepancy here with a, uh, a weird case from 1995, Nationwide Insurance Co. Uh, versus Marigarado. Uh, and what that case said was an out-of-state accident can involve covered persons under the uh, New York vehicle and traffic law if the coverage in the uh, foreign state is in excess of what the New York vehicle and traffic law requires. So it's a little uh, weird that they say Article 51 doesn't apply out of the state. However, you can be a covered person under the vehicle and traffic law if the coverage is equal or greater. Um, there's a case from the Western District of Pennsylvania, Wensley versus Scott. They sort of harmonize the two of these and talk about this discrepancy and uh, essentially just say, the, the law is unequivocal. If it's out of the New York State, Article 51 and the insurance law 5104 bar do not apply out of New York. Um, so what this means for loss transfer purposes, it's not available for an accident outside of New York. However, uh, it might be available for a New York accident even if benefits are paid under another state's law. If you have an accident arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York, uh, even if benefits were paid pursuant to another workers' compensation act in another state, you may still be able to pursue intercompany loss transfer on that first $50,000. All right, New Jersey standard, uh, a little more hairy. So um, Wilson versus Fall is where we're going to start off. That's a 1958 case uh, from the New Jersey Supreme Court. It says they're going to recognize the variably applied the law of the state in which the employer has provided compensation insurance. Um, and they said there, a mere difference in law is not going to be held contrary to New Jersey public policy. Um, so that kind of sounds like the Carminucci language in New York. <clears throat> but then it starts to get uh, a little stranger moving forward, um, or looking retroactively, rather. Uh, there's another New Jersey Supreme Court case from 1952, Stacey versus Greenberg, which says that principles of comedy require application of a foreign statute unless contrary to public policy. <clears throat> the contact with New Jersey in that case was purely casual. Uh, and then the biggest case on the issue is Prevatera versus uh, Hillcrest Homes. When I say biggest, I mean most on point. It's not a New Jersey Supreme Court case. It's only from a law division superior court. Uh, it addresses Section 29.2 subrogation. And it says uh, that the claimant cannot take advantage of the portion he likes and disregard the portions of which he disapproves 
So Section 29.2 subrogation rights were applied in New Jersey. Uh, it should be noted that Prevatera is later cited with approval in a uh, federal court case, Liberty Mutual Insurance Co. versus Borsari Tank Corp. Um, that predates Boyle versus Texas Gulf Aviation, but uh, Prevatera pops up there in a favorable fashion. Now, it starts to devolve a little bit over time and get less cut and dry. We have an appellate division decision from 1975, Preslin. Uh, whether the traditional or modern um, choice of law tests were applied, New York law governed in that case, and that one was affirmed uh, in 1976. Eager versus L. DuPont, uh, Supreme Court case, 1988. Um, the Wilson versus Fall case, the first one that we talked about, uh, foreshadowed the contemporary greatest interest choice of law doctrine. Uh, and it said NJ is not going to undermine another state's workers' comp statute unless New Jersey has a strong countervailing interest. But for reimbursement rights, that same case says reallocation of the burden of paying compensation is at best an ancillary function of the workers' compensation statute. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, Johnson versus State, an appellate division decision from 2009, uh, applies a flexible governmental interest standard. Is there an actual conflict between the two state laws? Uh, what is the interest each state has in resolving the specific issue? And then compare and balance those interests. Now, what's nice about this case uh, is that they actually say whether double, double recovery will result is an important factor in evaluating governmental interest. So uh, Johnson actually gets remanded, gets addressed again by the Superior Court and comes back up to the Appellate Division. And the reason I'm going through this history is this is the most recent and most clear case we get on the issue in New Jersey. Uh, comes back up to the Appellate Division in 2011. Uh, and they say that the rationale for New Jersey's subrogation policy is to prevent employees from obtaining double recovery. They cite another one of my favorite cases, Frazier versus New Jersey Manufacturers. Uh, some of you may know that that's the case that gave us lien rights on underinsured motorists and uninsured motorist benefits, legal and medical malpractice actions, even if it's not explicitly granted by that case, uh, Frazier's progeny uh, basically lends New Jersey to being very favorable in terms of what you can assert a lien on. Um, this applies even when the employee makes a recovery against a third party other than the tortfeasor, again, citing to Frazier. Double recovery occurs when the employee keeps any workers' compensation benefits that have been matched by uh, the third party recovery, again, pointing to Frazier. Double recovery to be prevented uh, is payment from two different sources for the same injury, citing Frazier. And uh, double recovery rule applies whether or not the employee is fully compensated and citing, you guessed it, Frazier. Uh, very favorable case in terms of applying our subrogation rights in New Jersey. So a final note here on the New Jersey standard. Uh, we have Draper versus Airco. Um, this is a Third Circuit Federal Court case, 1978. Uh, talks about Stacy and Prevatera, the ones we mentioned earlier. Uh, fundamental fairness, as well as the need for certainty of result, uh, commits our courts to look to the laws of the state pursuant to which the benefits were paid to determine question affecting the essential rights of employers, co-employees, as well as insurance carriers. Uh, so this harmonizes Breslin and Wilson, the cases we talked about on the first New Jersey slide, uh, and says to look to the law of the state under which benefits were paid. Wilson says, look to the law of the state under which the employer who is being sued is insured. So a slight little distinction in language there between Wilson and Breslin, um, but what we're arriving at here essentially is that New Jersey is going to balance the interests of the various courts 
they're never going to uphold the subrogation statute that's contrary to their own public policy. Um, however, just a mere difference in the wording of the law or you know, a difference in the law in general is not going to be violative of their public policy. And uh, if you're asking me, essentially what this boils down to is a long-winded way of saying very, very frequently, almost always, um, New Jersey's gonna end up applying in a third-party action the law of the state in which benefits were paid. At the very least, you can hang your hat on the double recovery argument and really make that argument very strongly. So we're gonna touch on a couple other jurisdictional issues here. <clears throat> so uh, I want everyone to think about for a second, New Jersey's bar on section 40 rights on title 59 claims against public entities. Um, so some of you may know that New Jersey section 40, uh, you basically can't do anything against a public entity in New Jersey. Uh, you can't assert a lien on a third party action. You can't sue them directly via subrogation. Uh, Title 59 uh, claims are you have no subrogation rights against. Now, what's interesting here, Title 59 applies to public entities only in New Jersey by its language. Um, same thing with the verbal threshold. The statute references accidents in New Jersey. Title 59 would not bar a Section 40F action against the New York entity, for instance. Um, Feely versus Port Authority of New York, or rather Port of New York Authority, um, it seems like my picture is blinking out intermittently, so apologies if any of you guys are experiencing that. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Um, but anyway, Feely versus Port of New York Authority, and we lost the picture again, <laughs> uh, says that uh, you can apply Section 40F rights against the Port Authority. Uh, in other words, you can uh, subrogate against the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Um, so note that that's not under Title 59. Uh, Wood, Wood versus Dix slash Underhill, uh, Law Division case from 1975. The Port Authority is not a public entity under Title 59. It is a shared entity between New York and New Jersey. So this points to us having lien rights as well, not just subrogation under Section 40F. But in New York for $50,000 carve out or loss transfer, um, note that the vehicle involved in the accident, accident actually has to be used as a motor vehicle. So driving around exclusively on the tarmac at New York airports is not going to count as a motor vehicle. It's going to actually have to traverse the uh, highways and byways and thoroughfares and streets of New York to actually be a motor vehicle for the purposes of the statute. So uh, if you're assessing for loss transfer for Port Authority cases that happen in a New York airport, it's gonna be something of an uphill battle. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's get to see if we have any questions here before we wrap up. I actually do not see any questions. So I uh, hope everyone will join us next month, uh, August 9th. We're going to be addressing the carrier's rights in New York under Kelly, Burns, and Bissell. It's a hairy area of the law, and we're going to do our best to untangle it. Uh, I hope everyone signs in for that. And uh, thank you for joining today, and sorry for the technical difficulties.